Hello, Marvelites! You are listening to Marvel's Pull List for new Marvel Comics on sale May 4th, 2022. I'm Ryan Panagos, a.k.a. Agent M. And I'm Jasmine Estrada. Before we get into books this week, we wanted to send our condolences to the friends and family of legendary Marvel Comics and, and comic industry uh, legend, truly a legend, Neil Adams, writer, artist, creator, um, we were saddened to learn of his passing at the end of last week. Um, Neil's photorealistic style truly helped shape the Marvel Universe and, and beyond. He's inspired generations of comic book artists and storytellers. He's championed their mentorship and their growth. Um, you can hear stories and stories about what Neil meant to creators and fans um, from a personal level to a creative level. Uh, I was reading Tom Brevoort's newsletter um, mm-hmm. and hearing him talk about working with Neil and what Neil's work meant to him, went, meant to Tom as a fan, and and so much more. So, um, yeah, we just wanted to extend our condolences. Absolutely. This is a pretty momentous week. Hmm, I think you're right. I think there's some uh, big things happening in the multiverse this week. I'm very excited. Yes, and of course we are speaking of the great issue of Avengers Forever that's out this week. Oh yeah, and also the release of a brand new film. Hopefully y'all get to see it this week. Please, no spoilers um, for anyone. Be kind. Rewind. Do you know what that means? Does that have any resonance to you? can't remember the last time I went into a, a video rental shop. When I lived in Brooklyn in 2002, 2003, I lived in Greenpoint, Brooklyn, and mm-hmm. we had a like a boutique video rental shop there that we rented. Twin Peaks was, I think, the last thing I rented from there. Look, we're not here just to talk about uh, reminiscence and Rewinding stuff like VHS tapes. I know. Uh, we are here to talk about all the brand new Marvel comics on sale this week because Marvel's pull list is the official Marvel podcast of Marvel Comics. We're going to go through those new comics, including our picks of the week, give out awards to all the other comics. We're going to tell you what Infinity Comics are hitting Marvel Unlimited alongside the rest of the new books hitting our subscription service of Marvel Unlimited collections as well. And then getting into a monumental reading club this week. Jasmine, who are we speaking with? We are talking to Ryan North. Um, We're going to be talking about the Marvel Squirrel Girl, The Unbeatable Radio Show as well as the first four issues of Ryan North and Erica Henderson's uh, Unbeatable Squirrel Girl run. Um, and that's the uh, story arc. That's, if you have the trade, it's called Squirrel Power, and it collects the first four issues of Unbeatable Squirrel Girl. Um, but yeah, we're very excited about the radio show and all things Squirrel Girl and Ryan North. And we're going to get to that a little bit later. But now let's dive into our picks of the week. And I'm going to start us off with Avengers Forever, number five. The title of this issue is Doom of Dooms. And usually Mm. in these issues, we get uh, the wonderful credits page has some, you know, some recap stuff. It has the credits for the creators. It also has the wide array of cast members that show up in this because we are across the multiverse in this series. So usually it's saying like, you're going to meet this character and this character and this character. These are all in it. The only character listed on this page is Doom Supreme. The Doom above all. And truly, do you need anything more than Doom? Nope. No, you do not. Uh, this issue is brought to us by Jason Aaron, Jim Toe, and Guru EFX on writing, art, and coloring, respectively, but all together, storytellers. Lettering by VC's Corey Pettit. And um, just, it's exciting because Doom is one of my favorite characters in anything ever. Oh, absolutely. Time, right? Like, Same here. Mm. Doom rules. And in Avengers Forever, we've been following this multiversal masters of evil who are just going around murdering all the heroes and going back in time and and really turning Earths into different uh, multiversal Earths into their own playthings. And in this one, we instead of focusing on that broader array of characters, which we see them a little bit in here and there, um, we are focused on this Doom the the head of this masters of evil this one character who his motivations have been a little bit um hazy uh, because we haven't seen as much of him so this is a great spotlight issue and jason aaron is one of our favorites like he's so good hands down 
My first pick of the week is Black Panther Legends number four, uh, and it's written by Tochi Anubuchi with pencils by Anid Balam and Ramon F. Box. Uh, inks by Roberto Poggi, Oren Jr., and Ramon F. Box. Colors by Ian Herring and letters by VCs Joe Sabino. This is the last issue of Tochi's uh, series, uh, Black Panther Legends. It concludes the, the ongoing story. Um, and it's, like I said before, in like previous episodes with previous issues, this is a great way to get introduced to who the Black Panther is, who the cast and in, in like family members are, um, the friendships, the alliances, the uh, enemies, uh, because there is one uh, Ulysses S. Claw in this, in this issue mm-hmm. doing my favorite thing, which is creating sonic versions of animals that are still somehow <laughs> tangent um, and red, red too which is my favorite um but before i get into the inside of this comic i wanted to quickly shout out uh one of my favorite artists and writers juni ba he has a variant cover of this issue and it's gorgeous 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 art um the cover is uh, looks like claw's hand um and he has on each finger a little finger puppet of one of the fantastic or each of the fantastic four members and the black panther on his thumb um and i can't like stop talking about juni ba's art i'm a huge fan um, the, the stuff that he's been doing on his own, uh, indie stuff over on monkey meat is phenomenal. Um, and I just can't wait to get more, um, Marvel stuff from him. Um, but in this book, we get one of my favorite stories from the, the Black Panther, uh, lore, which is when the Fantastic Four first come to Wakanda, um, after Black Panther invites them over. One of the things I really like about this version or this iteration of that story is that we get introduced to the Dora Milaje and how they play a role in this type of story. Because when the original story was written back with Stan Lee and Jack Kirby, the Dora Milaje wasn't introduced quite yet at that time. It wouldn't be until the late 90s with Christopher Priest when he co-created the Dora Milaje um, in his story. So seeing how those characters interact with the Fantastic Four and all the stuff that goes on in this issue is really fascinating to me. Um, because it is, you know, a a tapestry. And when we get all these different stories and characters created over time, like we have to, there's like creative ways to weave those characters in and show that they were there the entire time all along. But not only that, we get to see how Hunter and uh, T'Challa's relationship grows from here. And like, we get to see a little hint of like what their stories will be like in the future, which is really cool. Highly recommend reading Priest's run for that if you want to know more, um, as well as Reginald Hedlund's. And the art, too, is just gorgeous. There's this one page where the Fantastic Four are jumping from a ship. Obviously, you have the Human Torch flying off. Uh, but you also have, like, the Thing and Invisible Woman jumping out. But, like, of course, we get the It's Clobbering time in, in giant lettering. Uh, but my favorite is Mr. Fantastic, who's kind of, like, coiled out of the ship. And it just mm. looks so dynamic and so just, like, I mean, I'm a sucker for a good Fantastic Four, like, breakout page. Um, and this definitely delivers. Hell yeah. All right, and our third pick of the week is Giant Size X-Men Thunderbird number one, written by Steve Orlando and AEW wrestler Nyla Rose, penciled by David Cutler and with inks by Jose Marzan Jr., Roberto Poggi uh, on some of the pages, colors by Irma Nievila, and letters and production by VCs Travis Lanham. This one I was very much looking forward to, and it's one thing you and I were talking about, Jasmine, is that um, we don't know Thunderbird that well. And I think it's cool because Thunderbird has this legacy. If you don't know, Thunderbird is John Proudstar. He is one of the uh, the, the core group of the Uncanny X-Men era. So he came in and joined the X-Men alongside Colossus and Nightcrawler, Storm, Wolverine, that whole crew. Um, but he died very early on, like an issue later. And his legacy for so long has mostly been the fact that he died and what that meant to the X-Men. Also, uh, there he has a brother, uh, James Proudstar, who is Warpath, who has been an amazing character over the years as part of the, the Hellions and New Mutants and X-Force and X-Men and just tremendous rad dude. Um, and so there was a really great moment where John came back and um, now we get to like experience who this character is in a way that we never really did before. Mm-mm. I think so, he even says it like, he's like, I, I, I think I'm more famous for being dead or for dying than anything else. And I'm just like, dang, that sucks. 
if you don't know, mutants have a secret to beat death. They can resurrect their own. And so one of them they brought back is John here. And so uh, we get to see him just full force. And going back to his roots, going back to where his people are from, he's a, a Native American superhero. And so he's got a lot of things that he's trying to figure out now that he's alive again. There's a great text page in here, which is a letter from Thunderbird to Jumbo Carnation, who is the the mutant that designs costumes for everyone. And it's a great letter of, of what John wants out of his new outfit. He doesn't want what he wore originally. He wants something new. And um, that was designed by David Cutler, the artist here, who is also a Native American. And um, it's a like this beautiful teal color and these this cool. There's a lot of meaning to it. I won't spoil mm-hmm. it. You should read it when you, you check out the issue. It's a gorgeous book. It's action packed, but it's heartfelt. As they say right at the end of the issue, this is just the beginning for John Proudstar. Look for him next in X-Men Red, number three. So we're going to get more of him, which is rad. Hell yeah. And such a badass book, too. Like, I can't wait for the next issue of that book. Yeah. Uh, We're going to get to more new books in a second, but it is time for awards. So last week, we had the nice multiverse you have here award, which... If you read Thor number 24, you found in the pages of Al Ewing's short story featuring Loki as he says it as he is pretty much teleporting through the multiverse from the the last pages of Loki ongoing from back in, what, 2018? Loki, Agent of Asgard, yeah. So that was in Thor number 24. We have a couple of different winners. We have uh, a brand new winner, someone who, who hasn't won before, Evil Space Cow on Twitter found it first and we also have a couple of other people who shouted us out on instagram um that's ryan does on instagram as well as karis pollard steve agnew and lex pendragon over on twitter um it's crazy how fast you guys find it um so we need a new award for this week what do we we do and i'm a fan of this one this week is the no thanos those are my corpses award It's so good. It's basically everybody read all the books. Find out where it is. It's very on brand for this character. I love it. And it's real good. I can't wait for people to find it. Yeah. Uh, And what we want you to do is when you find this quote, screen cap it and tweet it to at Agent M and at Jasmiest with hashtag Marvel's pull list or email us at pull list at Marvel.com. If you're the first ish, uh, I'll, I'll DM you on whatever platform it is or email you back. But we'll be giving away the No Thanos, Those Are My Corpses Award for uh, some of our shout-outs in this week's books. Well, before we get started, I did want to read an email we got from Michael Eisenstein. Because Michael wrote in, in response to our previous episodes in our reading club that we did alongside Tochi Onyabuchi, talking about X-Men Executioner Song. And Michael says... This story, as a reader for comics, was also part of my early reading days, and I totally agree with this feeling of, wait, they promised an origin story for Cable and none was given to me. Also, seeing Xavier come back in the Jim Lee's run only to have him killed by Jay Lee was very hard to bear. Um, I don't think he was killed by either Jim or Jay Lee, the artist, but they drew some really gnarly stuff. Yeah, they're nice boys. They don't kill. Yeah. Um, From the conversation, Michael says, I was also intrigued by the discussions you had about Angel's backstory with Apocalypse and how much history certain characters have with each other. Another run that I found wonderful to read was Uncanny X-Force that explored further the impact on Angel from his time with Apocalypse and the decisions they were faced with making in that series that related to that complicated background. Moreover, I was wondering if you've considered doing a reading club that does a highlight reel of issues on a specific character in the Marvel Universe. That's a good idea. I really enjoyed the trade collection for some of the Spider-Man villains where they take you through different episodes over time that were critical to the characters, such as Birth of Venom or Saga of Sandman. I really enjoy getting your take on characters, maybe even some lesser known ones that you feel need their moment to shine. For me, some that come to mind are Sink, Mr. Negative, or Kate Pride. Anyway, keep all the great podcasts up. Thank you, Michael, for that email, for that great suggestion. You know, it's funny because we actually have that very thing coming up very soon. But I think this is a great idea. We, you know, we plan out a lot of these ahead of time. Jasmine does like 99% of the work. And then she asks, like, does this sound good? And I'm like, yep. 
great <laughs> idea. Uh, but I think this will really help as we're coming in and we're thinking about stuff we want to do about characters that show up and stuff or just people get excited about. So I, I put it to you, dear listeners, let us know other characters that um, you'd like to see us highlight. I think we can keep a list. We have Sync, Mr. Negative and Kate Pride over here. Um, think of others that might make sense for us to to do a nice fun reading club with down the line. Yeah, that'd be awesome. Um, and even if it's not a character, like if you have a favorite storyline, like send those in. Let us know what you guys want to hear, and we'll add it to our list. Now, we got to talk about some brand new comics, including Ben Riley, Spider-Man number four. And I actually want to give my No Thanos, Those Are My Corpses award to Spider-Side. Uh, Spider-Side is the big bad in this issue, and he's like this big, messed up, gnarly clone of of all the Peters and the Bens and the Parkers and you know that lineage but he's got these wild shape-shifting powers and he's the design is so cool partially because in this issue David Baldion just absolutely destroys uh the art in here is so gorgeous and it's so big and weird and goopy at times and scary yeah i i really dug seeing spider side a character i don't have much connection to at all and i was like who is this guy? Cause this was just a period where I wasn't reading Spider-Man and I've, mm-hmm. you know, as much as I've gone back to stuff, I just have not been able to go back to everything yet. So this does make me want to read more of the classic issues oh, that sure. he would have shown up in over to Iron Man number 19. This is the final confrontation between Tony Stark and Michael Korvac. This has been sort of going on the entire run of the series and it is an unexpected end to all of this i want to give my no thanos those are my corpses award to a particular three-page silent sequence in the middle of this issue um because they have interactions and they're going through stuff and um there's there's heated stuff and whatnot and there are even some silent parts before this and a couple of silent bits after this some of them with you know captions whatnot but these three pages in particular give a like really express the humanity of Korvac here in a way that I hadn't connected with previously. <clears throat> and I think part of it is Cafu's art is so unbelievably good. The emotion that he can elicit in Korvac's eyes in here, because I'm looking at the, the middle of the, yeah, it's the middle of the three pages, the looks, the subtle like body language and facial expressions that are done on this one page tell me so much without saying a damn word. And I think it's Mm-mm. really expressive and beautiful comic books. And it's a poignant part of this story and really sort of changes the direction of what you think of this confrontation as a whole. So I can't speak highly enough of Kafu. So, so good. Um, next up, we have Maestro World War M number three. So this is a, a difficult one for me because I, I have two moments in here that, I, mm. that I'm going to split the award in half. The No Thanos, those are my corpses awards. Both of them are going to go to the artist, Edaban Peralta, but for two different reasons. One, one of my favorite things about this world, this future imperfect world, back from the George Perez and Peter David original story was that like we when we got to go see Rick Jones in his like, where he's hiding out in, um, you get to see all the walls decorated with all the different types of superhero, like, I don't know what to call it, collectibles, I guess, where it's like you see Cap Shield, you see all the different Iron Man helmets. And like, I love that type of stuff. Like, I like trying to find things throughout those types of pages. And in this book, we get a little bit more of that. We get to see that same room. And there are like little tidbits here and there that I really liked. Um, like, we get to see Xavier's chair in the background in one panel. We get to see, we were talking about Shatterstar's sword, swords. He has two, but he... It's one, one sword, singular two sword to, with two blades. Okay. Well, he has one of them hanging in the, on the wall, and I thought that was really funny and like a neat little deep cut. But my favorite thing that he has in this room is an espresso machine. <laughs> and there's even a scene where he's pouring... Like He's just like talking to... like uh, I don't want to spoil who the character is, but he's talking to someone in this room, and he's just like, yeah, yeah, sure. Like You see all my fun things? I also have this espresso machine right here. It's great. I love it. I'm here for it. Uh, but the other scene that I want to highlight is there's a scene between Namor and uh, Abomination. And I guess this, I, I'll, I'll give some of the award to Peter David as well, because the conversation that they have together 
is very like dark but also like the amount of camaraderie between those two characters i never knew i needed it but they share drinks and i love it and what namor does is literally what every person who's ever gone out at night and like had a good time had a party you make that one bad decision you like you make the wrong call and you're like oh, it's gonna get real messy next issue and i'm very excited love these books they're so good all right on to marauders number two and i think i'm gonna give my no thanos those are my corpses award to the cute interactions that are throughout this issue between akihiro aka dokken and aurora and somnus Aurora being Akihiro's current partner and Somnus being a previous partner, but they're everybody's still cool. But there's just like these like cute little interactions and funny moments amidst like they're going up against horrible space odds and and chaos stuff and their ship is exploding and they're floating and like all kinds of wild stuff. But it's it's really um, some funny, sweet moments in here that Steve writes. I want to also shout out the artist Eleonora Carlini, um, who I think leveled up from one issue to the next. You could see someone getting better, um, progressing. And, and like some of the facial expressions are so much fun. And you, you just see someone like on the rise. Next up, we have Spider-Man 2099 Exodus Alpha number one. And right off the bat, I got to give my no Thanos. Those are my corpses award to the colorist on this book, Niraj Manan, because, wow. My, one of my favorite things about this 2099 world in this universe is that, like, we see a lot of neon colors being used, and because of that, it's very bright, but just being able to, like, play with colors and, like, really, really, like, draw out depth, I find it very fascinating how they were able to capture it. But also there's, like, washed-out moments where, like, there's a page where you see someone falling and the way that colors are used to kind of wash out the background makes it just look like they're going to be falling forever. Mm. And it looks terrifying. But again, it's it's the use of color and really like it almost looks like a blinding light that I find really cool. We've got two Star Wars books for you. The first is Star Wars number 23. And I almost picked this one. I loved, loved this issue. I'm going to give my No Thanos, Those Are My Corpses award to one Charles Soule. Uh, who is now a creative consultant for Lucasfilm. I saw he posted about that on Twitter. Um, Yeah, it's, I remember I, I got extra, I had extra seats for, I guess it was Force Awakens. I brought Charles with me. I was like, Charles, I know you love Star Wars back. This was, you know, however many years ago that was. And I know you, you, kind of come up this way too we went to the draft house in yonkers and sat next to us um watching force awakens together and so cool. seeing him now you know his deepest love for all things star wars fully manifesting and he's been doing the star wars books for a while now in various ways and just continues to surprise and excite me like this issue is all about um a battle between one star destroyer and the rebel fleet and I was on the edge of my seat for this one because it's it's like it's badass and it's intense and scary. And there's this other there's a, a there's another story going on at the same time. And you're like waiting for for like the proverbial fuse to like reach the end and everything to explode. And then when things happen, it's like, ah, it was it was such <laughs> a great culmination to this these couple of beats. But there's still like the last page of this. I was like. Oh, hell yeah. I can't wait. Um, and then Ramon Rosanas doing so good. Um, his character work, specifically with the main uh, Imperial officer here. <sighs> really dig this issue. Really, really dig this issue. Speaking of almost picking a Star Wars book as a number one pick and having an amazing last page, last couple of pages. Um, next up, we have Star Wars Obi-Wan Kenobi number one. And if you're an Obi-Wan fan... You're going to be so happy to read this book. It's it's so, it's exactly what you want. We start off on tattooing um, with old, you know, with Ben, old man, old man, Obi-Wan. Um, and we start, we, we start in that era. And, but then at the same time, we start to kind of go backwards and we see him growing up and what that was like for him. And like, by the time we get to the end, we, we see him as he's about to become, you know, he's in the Jedi Academy and stuff like that. And 
I just want to give my no Thanos. Those are my corpses award to to Christopher Cantwell for that last couple of pages of a reveal. I didn't see that coming. It was something that I already knew that had happened, but it, I haven't seen it depicted anywhere else. And for it to finally unravel here made me so excited for the next book because I'm like, I didn't know I wanted this Obi-Wan story so bad, but I'm very excited. All right, that's it for the brand new issues out this week. But actually, there are even more because over on Marvel Unlimited, we're giving you new comics every week. We've got uh, the stuff that hits MU. But first, I want to mention the Infinity Comics. This week, we have uh, X-Men Unlimited Infinity Comic number 33. This is the end of X-Men Green 2, which has been super duper cool. And issue five of Alligator Loki. Also coming to MU, we have a bunch of digital comics hitting uh, the digital shelves, I guess. Uh, this week, we have Marauder's Annual Number 1, which starts the, uh, which is the first book in Steve Orlando's Marauder's Run, as well as uh, Mary Jane and Black Cat Beyond Number 1, which is so good. You have to read that one. Um, I'm making you read it right now. <laughs> like, pause. Go get that now. It's um, really, really freaking good. So good. I also want to shout out Devil's Reign uh, Winter Soldier number one, which I was a, it was a total shocker for me. It like came out of the blue, and I adore that book so much. Um, there are tons of collections out this week. Some of the highlights include Defenders, There Are No Rules, which is the recent Defender series uh, that by Al Ewing and Javier Rodriguez that I absolutely was over the moon for, and we're going to get some more of that uh, vibe real soon. Uh, an Omnibus for Annihilation, which is rad one of my all-time favorite marvel events um it's a, a, an omnibus for doctor strange by jason aaron and chris bashalo gorgeous art in that book yeah thor by jason aaron the complete collection volume five which i believe is the final part of the complete collections which Been is waiting i have a spot on my shelf right now for it it's just a little slice it's yeah open. i just i i had i got mine earlier i got mine like a week or two ago and so i pulled the last versions of the individual trades mm -hmm. and slotted in. So now I have like the complete Thor by Walt Simonson, then the complete yeah. Thor by Jason Aaron. It's it feels it's the good. best feeling when you swap out the like individual trades and just get that big boy in there. You're like, yeah. yes. Yeah. So I'm going to, I'm going to give away those uh, individual Thor trades to some lucky fans later Ooh. this summer, but it will be great. So yeah, lots of great stuff this week. You can get the full list over on marvel.com. But now it is time for our reading club. Once again, Jasmine, who are we talking with? We are talking to Ryan North about his Squirrel Girl run, as well as talking about Marvel's Squirrel Girl, the unbeatable radio show, uh, which is now available um, and really, really good. So make sure to go check that out. Yeah, let's do it. All right, Jasmine, are you ready to kick butts and eat nuts with our guest this week, Ryan North? I'm so excited. Woo! Uh, hello. Hi, Ryan. It's me. Hey, Ryan. <laughs> we are here to talk about the unbeatable Squirrel Girl. Ryan, you did an amazing run of uh, Squirrel Girl comics that I am genuinely heartbroken that I don't have new issues of. Like I, Every time. Especially rereading for our conversations lately, I'm like, I miss that pure joy even in the like the issues that were crushing me and sad and and amazing stories and everything else there's something so wonderful about getting an issue of squirrel girl so i'm super happy and super excited to talk about them with you today and excited for any of our listeners who have never read an unbeatable squirrel girl yeah, I I, I reread uh, the first four issues of Squirrel Girl for this, and I had not read them since uh, I wrote them. They came out five years ago, so it was fun for me too. I was like, oh yeah, this is what Pastor Ryan did. He's pretty good. I like that guy. <laughs> this was one of the first Comic Cons that like I went to with like a mission where I was like, I need to meet Ryan North. Like I need to go, and he signed it for me. Oh, and not only that, I was so just like freaked out and i had tunnel vision that as he was signing it he was like oh and also here's erica henderson and i was like <laughs> like I, I felt so bad that i didn't recognize her but at the same time i was just like oh my god like freaked out i was it was amazing and i have one last thing to show you ready for this i'm ready to share my screen real quick look at that oh my god wow it's yeah. a picture of me and ryan north 
uh, at Comic Con. Erica was like off you. to the, the side, but yeah, I think I think you're blocking her with your body. <laughs> this is this is really? Brian's no. time to shine. On the other side. <laughs> I want to just go backwards a little bit in time. Did you have like a local comic shop? Where'd you get your local comics? When did you dive into comics? Yeah, I, I was a uh, late bloomer in that regard because I grew up before the internet and there was no real comic store in town. And so the first time I experienced comics was uh, with, as a teenager, I'd graduated high school, I got a job, I got a paycheck, I got a car, and I drove into the big city of Ottawa and walked into a comic book store and uh, picked books off the rack at random. And I just, I knew I was interested in this medium. There was something about, you know, words and pictures and deliberate sequence that I found really alluring. And I just gave myself sort of this self-guided education into comics and realized that my suspicions were correct. And I do actually love this medium. I, I, I want to dive into the origins of Squirrel Girl a little bit because in the the collected edition that uh, Jasmine and I have, and I don't know if you have that same one, Ryan, it's the, the first volume of the mm-hmm. series. And it has the first four issues and a bunch of variant covers. And it's great. But it also has Squirrel Girl's first appearance from Marvel Super Heroes Winter Special, which I remember buying this issue as a kid. And like, I really? still have it, I believe, in my long box behind me because it was like, you have this just bonkers, amazing Eric Larson cover, which is just like wolverine's arms are so long and so massive and namor's on it and you've got iron man and all this stuff and then there's a squirrel on it and like i can feel the texture of the cover because i've read this issue so many times when did you first read this story or or first get hear about squirrel girl yeah so i had gotten an email from our editor uh will moss who basically asked me for a pitch on squirrel girl and i did not my thought was oh she's the one who can talk to squirrels right like is, is that the one so i I said, sure, give me the weekend. And I read all the Squirrel Girl comics I could find, which was not a ton. And of course, you start with her first appearance. And I love this this first story because she's got so much personality. She wants to team up with Iron Man. So her first move is to attack him in the forest <laughs> and like kind of get into a fight with him and then show how good she is and show off all her powers. And Iron Man is kind of a jerk. And he's like, no, I'm not going to. I don't need you as a partner. You should be in school. Leave me alone. And then he gets attacked by Dr. Doom and probably would have died. Like he loses. And then Squirrel Girl shows up and saves him. And even still at the end, uh, spoiler alert for this, you know, 30 year old comic, but Iron Man doesn't take her on as a partner. He's like, maybe one day when you're older, you can can be a superhero, but till now get out of here. And I think his last line is something like, uh, oh yeah, they're not going to believe this at the next Avengers meeting. So he's really dismissive of her. Um, and I liked something I, I, I sort of jumped onto was what if they were their friends now? Like Iron Man's kept an eye on her and they're, they've are they gone past this initial conflict <laughs> to be like, yeah, Iron Man's got kind of a soft spot for her. <laughs> I don't know. Like I have, I have a lot of questions about how like this concept came to be or like your pitch, initial pitch came to be because one of the things that when I, when I think of your run on Squirrel Girl, I immediately think of how wholesome it is. Mm-hmm. First of all, I'm just amazed that Will Moss was like, hey, out of all the superheroes, what if you did a Squirrel Girl book? <laughs> and then two, you were like, all right, bet. And then decided to pitch a very wholesome, very just positive book that isn't like, let's just make every single issue about like fistfights. And I mean, there are fistfights in here. Don't get me wrong. Yeah. But like, it's very much like empowering and very positive. And I, I, I love it for that. Yeah. What part of the initial part of the pitch was let's make it accessible which was me being very clever because i wanted i pitch it as you know people who don't know marvel can read it it can be your first comic but if you know marvel there's just easter eggs and i wrote that because i didn't have this depth of marvel knowledge that i could fall back on so i was like it'll be good for new readers who maybe don't know 60 years of marvel history and i also i wanted doreen to be i saw her as being this uh clever intelligent young woman and because of that, like if I wanted to write her as a smart woman, then I had to write her as someone who probably wouldn't get into fistfights as her first stop, right? Like if, if she's someone who is smart and empathic and she has a disagreement, I'm sure when, when you have disagreements, you usually don't open with a fistfight. Like that's, that's kind of exceptional. <laughs> so for her to, to do that, she would also have to be kind of uh, pushing the boundaries of the genre a bit. Yeah, she doesn't punch down because she surely could beat everyone. 
she's beaten Thanos, as she tells Galactus. And so it's like she could take on anyone. And I like that. I think that's it. it is a, such a tremendous message. One of the, the things I'm excited for when my daughter's old enough to, to really enjoy these. It is that perfect thing we mentioned on the show every once in a while. It is all ages in the best way possible. It is something that everyone can enjoy and appreciate top to bottom. And it is jam-packed with jokes and fun stuff. And man, I friggin' love this book. I love it so much. Thank you. Uh, it's funny you mentioned beating Galactus because reading this over, I remembered that in my outline for the first four issues, she's facing, building up to face, facing Galactus on the moon. And issue three ends with them facing off on the moon. Big dramatic shot of this giant galactic space god walking towards this woman with squirrel powers. And then issue four opens up with Galactus defeated and we go to the letters page and then we see how it actually happened. But in my outline, I had somehow never put in the outline how she defeats Galactus. And I only realized this when I got to writing issue four. I somehow had memorized like I had, but I hadn't. And so I had... A month to figure out how she beats Galactus. <laughs> and it was really um, kind of seemed the pants, but it ended up being this satisfying thing where she does this thing that's become her her trademark move, where she figures out what this person's actual problem is, what's causing him to behave in this way. And can I solve this in a way that everyone walks away happy? Is there a clever solution, possibly involving computer science, that uh, that does this for him? One of my favorite things about this run is that like it incorporates every aspect of the comic book as part of the story. So everything mm -hmm. from like the letters page to the covers to even the like solicits are very much like in this world, in this like, like they, they play a role in, in to some degree in, in storytelling, which I love. All right, let's let's dive into the first issue. Uh, we established, you know, who Squirrel Girl is, where she is in her life. She starts moving into her new college dorm and we, we get to meet these new friends of hers that will eventually make up the cast of the, the book as a whole. Um, we get Nancy and we even get Tomas, which I didn't realize was introduced that early. Yeah. Like I was like, whoa. And we even get a little peek at like Koi Boy. Ken Shiga. The fun thing with yeah. Tomas, like that, that thing was planned from the beginning. And in that first appearance, uh, the subtle clue we did that he would one day be, chip, be revealed as Chipmunk Hunk is that he's wearing a hoodie with a T on it. Like Alvin has an yes. A for Alvin and the Chipmunks. That's amazing. <laughs> I didn't realize that. I there's just, also I, a... There's a gag, a Chipmunk Hunk gag in like the third issue, I believe. Yep. Where it's there's a Chipmunk mentioned. amongst all the squirrels. And he was like, yeah, I'm here for the Chipmunk Hunk like thing and then everyone's like no 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 this is for squirrel girl he's yeah, like oh man <laughs> in the wrong place yeah we had we had it yeah. i thought it was obvious but i feel like people didn't really notice it where doreen says oh you know that's that's that squirrel is uh female that i seem to be talking to and tomas says oh that's funny because actually i and then tippy toe interrupts him and he was gonna say talk to chipmunks but that ended up not we kept that in our back pocket for i think five issues <laughs> just to set him up a little surprise didn't pick up on it until re the reread. That's yeah. I love that stuff. But you also wrote the solicits for every single Squirrel Girl book. I did. <laughs> that is not something a writer normally does for their own books. And I'm curious why you you were like, yes, I want to do this. Will asked if I wanted to, and I said sure. And if you look at them, I think the first two or three are very straightforward. They're very serious. Like here's what the issue is, blah blah blah. And then I kind of start pushing the boundaries to see like is marvel ever gonna say no to these solicits and they never did so then we had loki show up and so it's like yeah loki's in our book for a couple pages <laughs> it'll be fine um i think we have to talk about erica henderson please yes. and she's thank great rico renzi um but uh i particularly want to point to there's the panel where doreen is getting all her stuff ready in uh in the attic in the first issue and she's looking in the mirror and she's hidden her tail in her pants and she says uh who just happens to appear to have a conspicuously large and conspicuously awesome butt and it's a great line super funny the idea is wonderful but also the execution of the simple perfectness of that panel of doreen the way she's standing the like size of her conspicuously awesome butt the reflection in the mirror the look on her face just everything is so good i think erica sells the joy of this book and mm -hmm. the mirth and the 
the over-the-top wonder of it all in just the best ways. Yeah. Erica um, was and is amazing. And she would do so much to, to give these characters a life and a personality and stuff that you don't see other artists thinking too much about, like clothing choice. The, the clothes Doreen and Nancy wear in their civilian lives tells you so much about them. And they're not always the same. These aren't the Simpsons. They're wearing different clothes every issue. And Erica would, would cast their clothing. Uh, she would, when I first was writing the pitch, uh, Will had sent me over some sketches Erica had done of Squirrel Girl. And these sketches had such personality and such verb that I kept them open on one window while I was working on this pitch. Another window, when I got stuck, I'd look at this, that Erica's drawing of Doreen and say, what would this version of Squirrel Girl do? So I like that we collaborated uh, even from the very beginning. And it's so much of what makes this book special is the work that Erica and, and Rico did in, in coloring her to make her feel like, like who she is. I want to ask about your collaboration and like how you guys work together uh, throughout the series, but also like, I mean, just want to highlight, like, as a woman in, like, reading comics, like, you tend to see the same type of body mm. image, the same type of shape. And, like, not only do you see that within the art in, in this book that, like, okay, here is a woman who is a little bit shorter, a little bit curvier, um, owning her, like, her look, owning her style, owning, you know, who she is, but also kicking butt while doing it as well is just amazing. Um, there's even a gag, I believe, in issue two or three where she she first puts on the iron man suit and when she restarts or reboots the like the the operating system you can just you get to see her screen or her hud um mm -hmm. and in reverse it says something along the lines of i think i have 89 percent curvier yeah then then start baseline uh, then start <laughs> yeah then start baseline which i just loved i was like that is amazing like and it's to me, it just felt very real. Every body shape is amazing. Absolutely. Yes. But not all superheroes have the same shape. Yeah. There were so many things, wonderful things about this book in, in terms of body positivity and just like diversity that I, I absolutely adored. And I'm very grateful to Erica and you, Ryan. It's such a benefit, right? When you are working in a visual medium, you're designing a character and the choices you make with that character tell you about who they are. And when you're limiting yourself to one or two body types, um, that limits the type, the expressiveness of these characters. And I think the greatest compliment I can give Erica is that I can't imagine Doreen or Nancy or any of the other characters that we did together being any other way. Like they're instantly, they instantly become these, these canonical versions of these characters. And when I see the, some of the earlier versions of Squirrel Girl, where she was drawn differently, I'm like, oh, that's neat. But like, it's not our Squirrel Girl. <laughs> like this, it feels so distinct, which uh, I really like. So seeing Koi Boy wearing a binder was something mm -hmm. that hit home for me. Like when when you first see it, it is is very subtle. It's not yep. like, oh, here is my binder, or like let me take <laughs> off my shirt and show you. As this. you know, very I much... have this binder. Yeah. yeah, no, it's it's an and incidental it's... thing, which we absolutely wanted. It was something that like just caught me by surprise because I I immediately saw it and it was just like, is that a binder? Like, yeah. And as a trans woman, like that is something that like I absolutely. I'm grateful to see. Yeah, thank you. I mean, it was something that was there from the initial pitch. We just wanted him to be a trans man and didn't want it to be a big deal. We did want to have a very special episode. We just be like, this is part of who this character is. It's fine. <laughs> we, we can just go on. I just want it to be so normal as to be unremarkable. It's just part of who this character is. Done. I love that. Thank you for that. Um, it's also remarkable the way we get Craven introduced into this issue, into the story, into Doreen's life. I'll be honest with you, I am upset that Craven is not depicted as he's depicted through the 50 odd issues, 58 <laughs> issues of Squirrel Girl, that he's not depicted that way throughout all of Marvel's stories going forward. Because there is an arc and, and a relationship and a story for Craven through this that I was like, oh, I love Craven now. A character Same. who I just thought of as like creepy weird dude. Is like, oh, he's he's scary and weird, but also there's something to him, and he's got a heart, and we see the the first inklings of that in this issue where he's fighting with Doreen, and then she throws him up in the air, yes. which is <laughs> one of my favorite moments. It's like uh, it's just the whoop and to goes... give her more time to think about how to kick his butt. Yeah, and the way Erica draws her like imaginings of different ways to to go, this would go you know go down so funny um 
Yeah. I, were you were you planning on using Craven um, again as you were going to this first arc, or is he just like a character you you like? Yeah, we're gonna start here, and you know that's that. Oh, he was intended just for this issue, hundred percent, one and done. Um, I, I liked the idea of Craven. I liked how uh, kind of weird and goofy he is, but I was not expecting that relationship to develop the way it did. And as he kept coming back uh, and we explored this relationship more, it became like, they have a real friendship. And this, this squirrel girl and Craven the Hunter actually like each other and he respects her. And it was so satisfying for me to sort of over the course of those five years, see that relationship develop to a place where they call each other friend and they help each other out when they need help, because it's not a likely friendship. It's not a likely relationship but it fits so well. And I, I do really love uh, who Craven is <laughs> in these comics. I made a joke about it. One of the later issues um, where Craven's on trial and they're sort of saying, look how horrible this guy is. And Doreen under oath, she's asked like, do you really think he's a good guy? And she says, yeah, you know, in my book, he's a hero. And the subtle joke there was in the biz, we call comics book. And so in Squirrel Girl's book, in Squirrel Girl, he's a hero. Little bit. That's a little bit. I permitted myself to lean on the fourth wall that. there. <laughs> that's funny. So, like wrapping up this first issue, the thing that, like, I don't want to say it's funny because it is. It is funny, but it's also just like a huge swing to be like, all right, cool, you're good. You read the first issue. We beat Craven. Great. Next villain, Galactus. Like you just go from like <laughs> zero to a hundred in less than two issues. Yeah, issue two. I wanted to ask Ryan um, when they're at the sign up for clubs at school there's so many jokes it's you know going back to <laughs> the like the, the most bang for your buck that of any comic has got to be this with just every little thing like i was sitting on the floor looking at my issue like getting real close because my eyes are old and i'm an old man now and i'm looking at it like trying to read all the like the checkmates welcome bees okay uh, welcome bees but B, it's 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 an acronym. It's B E E S, and I have this written down in a post-it note in my book. What does yeah. it stand for? I forget. <laughs> I can look it up <laughs> uh, while while we're talking. I'll see if I can discreetly look it up yeah. and find out. But there were tons of jokes there. But I'm glad that the best one that Erica put in was the uh, social justice club and the social injustice club feuding with each other. And be like, <laughs> that's what I was just gonna say because that one I laughed so hard at that, and it's it's really funny. Um, and it's one of the the great things is. We get a lot on this page, but as you go through the rest of the the club fair in subsequent pages, like we we get glimpses at others, the tattoo club where Nancy's like, hmm, maybe <laughs> so fun. Little ones in the background uh, here and there, the <laughs> short bludgeoning staff club or club club. <laughs> <laughs> OK, I looked it up. Uh, B-E-E-S yeah. is the Beekeeping Effusive Enthusiasm Society. <laughs> so it's basically bees. Love it. <laughs> that is a secret joke revealed here for the first time. Deep cut. One that was cut was uh, the Awesome Self-Driving Solar-Powered Car Club, which was supposed to have a subheading that says, no, you are not allowed to drive the car. <laughs> <laughs> I love the uh, the get-together and eat cookies once a week club, and the guy's not even at the booth. It's just a little like... <laughs> sign that says brb it's tremendous the comedy club with the background of like an actual comedy brick wall wall. yeah Um, also one of the jokes in here it's not it's not a club but the uh ryan confirms the canonical hierarchy of attractiveness runs mm -hmm. uh, going from most to least hunky there is the hyper hunk the mega hunk uh to just regular hunk to mini hunk and finally nano hunk which i thought was really funny i don't remember writing that that's pretty good it's always embarrassing to to laugh at your own jokes but that was a pretty that was pretty solid let it happen let it happen yeah you know i read these things i'm like man that would be a really fun t-shirt um where it's like so many of these i was just like we need to get these on a shirt would be great shirts yeah we, we should probably keep moving along we get doreen's uh infiltration of uh tony stark's headquarters to get some armors uh utilizing the her squirrel pals one of my favorite gags is when she finally convinces the armor to recognize her tying back to her first appearance and then she commands it to basically build a squirrel a a her sized suit and then just shut up 
no <laughs> way shut, shut up, up. Oh, so good but I, also there's also a suit for for tippy toe which i was so uh, pleased makes with me that laugh every time i see it because all it is is iron man's helmet and then the rest of the body fits in one of the like gloves or like one of the like iron man like hands and so like he's just using or she's using a repulsor beam essentially just to fly around um and it's so funny i remember writing that and i was initially gonna have tippy inside the suit somehow and i remember holding up my hand and being like wait if the middle finger is the tail then you can have the back two legs as the four fingers and then the thumb and the pinky as the hand this this fits in a glove so we can do a helmet and a glove and we have a little tippy toe thing and it is one of my favorite parts i wish we could have done it more often just have tippy in a little suit of armor <laughs> flying around <laughs> As we go into issue three, I, I clocked it when I was reading it again. The um, the cover to issue three has this, in, to me, it reminded me of it like John Carter of Mars, you know, pulp novel cover. How much were you involved in in the cover ideas or, you know, thoughts? A lot of these by Erica. Um, were you a part of that process? Yeah, I, I would pitch ideas and usually Eric would be like, I have an even better idea <laughs> and build off of that. Uh, this one actually came from, it's a reference to one of her earlier appearances where she mentioned the idea of she liked when comics were about fighting giant apes on the moon. And I was like, well, we're having Galactus on the moon in this. So we have her fighting a giant ape. It's a, it's a stealth throwback, but also I think that's a fun image. And everybody's like, I got it. She'll have a ray gun. There'll be like this incongruously shirtless guy that she's rescuing. <laughs> on the moon not wearing a helmet it's great it's so much fun it's very pulpy yeah and also the one um moon ape with the bow in its uh in its beard it's tremendous that's great i never noticed that that's great good work Eric. very very dapper very dapper <laughs> um this is where we get that uh galan gag um in the character bio but also i want to highlight that the galactus time counter like the counter that we saw in the last issue that counted down how much time uh doreen had before galactus hit earth is in a character bio has its own little character bio and it's each one of these like reveals the secret identity for all these characters and the only one that really has a secret identity is uh squirrel girl and and whiplash but the gag keeps going and it gets to the, the galactus counter and it's like we've already done like the the g galactus uh gag so it's like the g lactus counter it just keeps going with it fun fact instead of it being a character uh galactus counter is simply a narrative conceit and does not actually exist which is just i get paid to write that <laughs> <laughs> well done you're doing comic books right living the dream um there's a so in this issue we see doreen she gets to she gets waylaid by whiplash and this wonderful fight in the park um there's a two-page sequence here where uh, Whiplash destroys her Galactus card and then the all-red panel of her furious, so angry yep. she says, oh my gosh, you did not just do that. Oh my gosh. And you can, her gritted teeth, it has cracked me up. But also by the end of the next page, she defeats him by swarming him with squirrels and they go in his mouth and I... I was almost in tears. Um, one of my favorite things about Galactus in general is the idea that it, he changes appearance depending on who witnesses him. So yep. yeah. you know, we may see him as this giant dude in a purple, amazing skirt and awesome horns, but alien races see him different. It's from the wonderful John Byrne comic that I think that's the first time that that's really established. Yep. Uh, yeah. And then in here, <laughs> tippy toe and squirrel girl having this conversation and tippy's like yeah i see this this this, and this but the pullback shot is a squirrel version of galactus so good so much fun and then you you took it one step further with his equipment and his computer was just uh for a second it looks so much like a photo of a keyboard for a second that i was looking here he has like an old click clack yeah uh, and if you look closely, there's a, a little uh, Twinkie wrapper on the right hand side, referencing yeah. the old Marvel <laughs> Twinkie ads. Yeah, that was this was I love the idea of Galactus appearing different to other people because it, it's so weird and so cosmic and so spacey that I'm like, yeah, of course, this is amazing. And having his computational machinery also appear different, different people, I thought 
was a logical extension of that, but also kind of answered the plot hole of how could how could Doreen understand a computer made by an alien from the last universe? But if it appears like a Commodore 64, then she can handle this. She can she can <laughs> hack into a Commodore 64, no problem. Um, this issue ends with, you know, a friendship born and Doreen coming back to, to Earth. The tremendous sequence with the, uh, like, cop talking to the squirrel suit. Squirrel suits. man. <laughs> squirrel man. It's... I, like any of this could just spawn a million different stories and, and wonderful bits and pieces. And I, I'm also really glad that, because uh, as I started reading, I was like, hmm, I can't remember when Nancy figures out or learns or is, is explained mm-hmm. to by Doreen about the squirrel girl and her secret identity. And I love the way it's done in this fourth issue. And it's like such a true, sweet friendship moment that I think is a perfect ending to this this opening arc. Yeah, it, I mean, they became the most important people in each other's lives. And I think that begins with uh, Nancy being this no-baloney straight shooter who was just rescued by a squirrel suit. <laughs> and one of the squirrels in those suits had a pink bow, just like the pink bow on tippy-toe that her roommate, Doreen, has, who has oddly a pet squirrel. Like, it's not a, it's not a huge leap for her, but it's... I love the way Nancy's just like, hey, I know it's actually no big deal. It's actually awesome. We're going to have a great time together. This is going to be the best time ever. Let's go friggin' do it. And just like, it's a connection. It's a shared secret, which are always great in friendships. And it's it's sort of the beginning of Doreen and Nancy becoming not just roommates, but like actually really close friends. And um, for any of our listeners who now are like, yeah, I want more Squirrel Girl. Great. There's, you know... 58 issues or so plus an original graphic graphic novel novel. y'all can read on Marvel Unlimited it is wonderful and beautiful and you know it was it was gosh the end of 2019 when we saw the release of the final issue and a squirrel girl no more in our pull list no more comics no more squirrel girl written by Ryan North but alas (laughs) The, the the squirrel gods have shined on us once more because, Ryan, you are writing the Marvel Squirrel Girl, the unbeatable radio show. Can you please tell our listeners what the heck that is? Yeah, so there's a new podcast that's picking up just from where the comic left off. And it's Doreen and Nancy and Koi Boy and Chipmunk Hunk and Brain Drain. And Doreen's doing a call-in show on the radio. She's thinking, you know what? If I can help people by talking to them, why don't I talk to as many people as possible by having this call-in radio show on college radio? Uh, Doreen has no idea what she's doing. Nancy does not know how to work the equipment. They're all new. <laughs> They're figuring it out as they go. And uh, very quickly, it, we discover that there is perhaps a villain calling in who is trying to do crime. So it's a six-issue, or six-issue, look at me. It's a six-installment <laughs> podcast. Um, it's so good. The actors are so good. Milana Vintrube is playing Squirrel Girl. It's it's amazing. The voices they have for these characters, the voices I have in my head now when I when I imagine them. So it's something I'm super excited about. Just come out better than I imagined. And it's free to listen to. So you have no excuse. Ooh. Squirrel Girl, the unbeatable radio show. Um, Ryan, I am so glad you could come and, and hang out with us and talk. And I feel like maybe there'll be good reason for us to chat again sometime yes. in the future. As always. Fingers crossed. All right, big thank you to Ryan North, truly a wonderful human being. I don't know. I probably sounded like I fangirled the entire interview because I it took so much uh, strength to just hold it all in. Hello, it's okay Ryan. though. Sometimes like it's authentic. That's the that's the most important thing. You were authentic in in your love and appreciation, and still professional. You did great. Thank you. I try. Yeah. Um, all right, that is a wrap for us. This episode of Marvel's Pull List was produced by Ryan Panagos, Jasmine Estrada, and Cara McGurk Allison. Jill Duboff is our director of audio. And Brad Barton is Marvel's Pull List senior manager of audio production and development. And of course, uh, Brad, being on the audio team, worked on Marvel's Unbeatable Squirrel Girl radio show. And, you know, we know that uh, we have the established uh, eat nuts, kick butts phrase. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And Brad was like, we got to have something new. We got to have something fresh mm-hmm. for the audio version. His big pitch was 
eat almonds, go to the Bahamas. And like mm. immediately everybody was like, Brad, why are you like talking about the Bahamas? And he's like, I don't know. It's just like the Bahamas is the vacation place to be. And we found out that Brad has this whole timeshare scheme in the Bahamas. That makes sense. Mm-hmm. Wow. Wow. What a scammer. Still, great work on uh, Squirrel Girl stuff. Yeah, I can't knock you for that. It was great. Fair. I'm Ryan. And I'm Jasmine. This is Marvel. Your universe.